As we mentioned from the NBA front office show, out to the zone phone we go. He's our friend Keith Smith. What's going on, Keith? Uh, a lot, but all, all good. I uh, hope the same for you guys. Well, hey, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz. Gordon and I were just talking about how kind of national eyes are upon the Jazz. Some have some negative or doubts uh, type opinions, and uh, a lot of people are really positive. Where are you at the uh, on this Jazz team and how they're playing right now? Yeah, I'm positive on them because I don't think – I mean, clearly they're probably going to lose again at some point this season, I would guess. <laughs> um, but they, they – Nothing that they are doing seems overly unsustainable to me. They're, they're shooting it really well, but nobody's like shooting 10 percentage points or 20 percentage points higher than their usual percentage. They're just kind of doing their thing. And, and one of the things that impresses me most about this team, and I think it relates back to the continuity factor, is I don't think there's a team in the league that knows who they are more than the Jazz. They go out there when they're healthy, the same nine guys play, the same nine guys play roughly the same amount of minutes and at the same time in games, and they just kind of do their thing, and it's really, really impressive. Keith, you said you think it's sustainable. What about in the postseason? Is this something that will work regardless of who the Jazz are playing? I think so. I, I don't see a lot of reason why it wouldn't. It's not it's not like they are um you know, running an offense that doesn't make a lot of sense that they're playing at this crazy high pace and, and when the game slows down, which it always does in the postseason, that that's not gonna hurt them. They're they're fine there. I think think they're based on ball and player movement and they're they're really getting that done and then defensively they're gonna continue to do what they do, which is uh, defend hard on the perimeter, funnel everything inside to go bare. So there's matchups that'll be more difficult for them for sure, but I don't think anything that they're doing screams the regular season success only. You know, they just rolled through uh, a home stretch here, Keith, where they beat the best of the Eastern Conference. I mean, we saw them beat Philly, but also uh, Milwaukee, Boston in this stretch. They had Miami on the second night of a back-to-back, and they got that win. But they did it all without Mike Conley, who's been playing at a, a real extra level this year. What does that say about the Jazz depth that they're still able to win those types of games? Yeah, that's huge because those felt like games in the past where at least one or two of those might have slipped away from them. And they, they now, again, it goes back to they've, they've got their nine guys that they know who they're going to go to. And then when anybody's out, it's generally been someone else has slid in there right now. It seems to be uh, Mie Oni, and he, he's kind of do, doing his thing um, out there and giving them a little bit, little bit of defense. But uh, I think it's really important that teams know what their roles are and what's expected of them. And I think that's what they've got out of all their guys. Nobody's trying to be Mike Conley. Everybody's just doing what they do to the best of their ability and trusting that the next guy's going to do the same thing. And that's really, really important. Keith, so Jordan Clarkson, B6 Man of the Year, and beyond that, is it possible that he deserves to be an all-star even in the crowded West? Uh, definitely, I think, for the first. I, I, it, it's generally going to be one of those competitions that comes down to the end, and we'll see who ends up starting games and doesn't start games and all those things. But right now, for me, he's been the best player in the league off the bench. I think his consistency now is what's really great. You're not seeing those uh, games where he goes 10 to 12 from the floor and scores 30 points, followed by a game where he goes 2 to 12 and scores 5 points. So those games aren't really happening. They're just consistently good night to night. All-Star is a little tougher because it, it, exactly what you said, it's just so crowded. There's so many guys at that guard spot in the West. I, I don't know that he's going to be able to crack in there, but I think he should at least be in consideration. 
I, I think Jake will agree with me on this, that there are times when you look at what he does, maybe last night, and you think he's the best player on the floor. Yeah, the I moment, think there's definitely... In the moment. Yeah, yeah I think there's truth to that. I, I think there are certainly times where, at least on the offensive end, you can say that for sure, where I think he he he's always had confidence. It's always been one of those things where he's willing to step up and take the shots and do his thing. And I think now what you're seeing is he is marrying that with consistency. And that's, again, that that's when takes a you know pretty good player to being a really good player is once you drive home that consistency. And that's where he's gotten to at this point. Keith, want to look around the rest of the NBA, talk to you about uh, some other storylines going on. The Jazz have the Lakers next week. And uh, Anthony Davis dealing with some injury issues. How much pressure does that put on LeBron to be even more extraordinary? I mean, he hardly had an offseason and he hasn't skipped a beat. And now seems like more of the load's going to fall on him. Yeah, I think that's what the initial thought would be. But I think they're probably going to look at it more as if we lose a you know handful of games over this next few weeks. I don't know that they overly care too much. I think the Lakers are one of those teams that feels like no matter where we get to in the playoffs, we feel pretty good about that as long as we stay in the home court running, which they should be able to do that, I would imagine. So I don't think they're uh, um, you know going to worry too much and push LeBron overly hard. I think they're taking the right approach with uh, Anthony Davis. And now I think it's just going to be, hey, we've got the guys we've got. If we win games, that's great. But I don't know how often you're going to see them push LeBron to play 40, 45 minutes in a game in the regular season just to get one more win. I I think they've got longer-ranged view in mind. Is that the difference, Keith, between a defending champion and a team like the Jazz that's still trying to prove things to itself? Yeah, I think so. I I think we see this uh, quite often. And, And I look at a team in the Eastern Conference, who's not a defending champion, but the Milwaukee Bucks, I think what they learned is, hey, we can win a million games in the season, but if we still are the exact same team in the postseason and don't have any adjustments that we can go to and aren't ready to step our guys up to more minutes, we're going to struggle. And I think what you're seeing in that situation is those teams learn that lesson through, you know, unfortunately some hard losses in the playoffs. And then, like you said, the Lakers, they, they know what they got to do. They know what it takes to win a championship. So I don't know that they're overly worried. Now, on the flip side, I think for the Jazz, even with, you know, as few fans in these arenas as may be all the way through the postseason, they still have a real home court advantage because of the altitude factor. Now, that's muted a little bit in the playoffs when teams are there for a handful of days at a time versus flying in and out. But that still does matter. So I think for them, that is something that's that's important for them to kind of keep that pushing. And I think as long as the Lakers and Clippers stay within striking distance, that gives the Jazz incentive to win as many games as possible and try to wrap up that number one seed. So, Keith, usually uh, I'm of the the take that uh, matchups matter the most in the playoffs and that seeding and home court and that sort of thing are overrated. Uh, but I'm going to go against my own rule here for a second because if you finish first in the Western Conference, then you won't have to play the Lakers and the Clippers back-to-back in back-to-back series if you're going to make a run to the Western Conference Finals. That does seem somewhat significant to me. So with that in mind, do you think the Jazz, uh, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned they're going to lose again, obviously, at some point, but do you think they can hang on to that number one seed in the West? I do. I think they can, and I think that's a great point as to why that's really important. I, I'm with you that I generally feel like matchups are what is most important. It, you know, seeding matters that you don't want to be 
you know, seven or eight, of course, and especially not now because of the advent of the play-in. You don't want to make anything harder on yourself than the need be. But I think when you're at the top of the conference, it's more about positioning yourself to have the easiest path forward. And if you can finish first, you should get an opponent in the first round that you should feel pretty comfortable about beating. And then the second round, you should feel pretty good again. And as you said, then you don't have to play both the Lakers and Clippers. And if those two teams do play each other, that could be one of those uh, grinded-out seven-game series where they beat up on each other. And if you're the Jazz and you can make relatively quick work to your second-round opponent, you're sitting there healthy, happy, and at home, and you're ready to go against the team that may come in you know, a little bit beat up and a little bit worn down. So, Keith, even though we've just established the importance of the postseason relative to the regular season, a team like the Jazz that is emerging and trying to improve game by game, does the pressure increase as that record is so stellar, or does it decrease? I don't know that it's related as much to the record. I think the pressure increases and decreases by the number of games that you're ahead in the standings. So if you, if you get can get four or five games clear, I think you start to feel pretty good about it. If you're consistently uh, within a game or two, then the pressure stays on to try and keep that lead and stay ahead of your opponent. So I think that's what it's more related to versus is the record. They're, they're not going to chase history here. They're not going to finish with the best win percentage in the history of the league or anything like that. So that's kind of off the table. So I think it's now more about how far ahead of the opponent you can stay. Keith, give us your take on how the Brooklyn Nets experiment is going so far. Yeah, they're starting to figure it out now. They, they, the interesting comment the other day where Kyrie Irving basically said, hey, James Harden's our point guard, I'm the two guard, and, and you know, off we go. I think we all kind of thought it might go that way, but, but to hear that they're bought in and, and respectful of that, that, that's important. You've seen when Kevin Durant is there, they're fine. I think their worry is exactly what it was when we you know, looked at the team get put together was how are they ever going to stop anybody? Now, there's a side that says, do you need to stop anybody when you can score 130 points a night? Um, you, you still need to. You, you don't want to be winning every game 125 to 120 or so. There's too much variance in that. But, but they're going to be one of these groups. I think they're going to be somewhat active. Uh, leading up to the trade deadline, then they'll be one of the top places for anybody who gets on the buyout market because they seem committed no matter what it costs. They're just going to keep trying guys out so they find the right fit of defenders who don't need the ball on offense. That's the other key part. As long as you want to come in, play defense, hit the boards, and move the ball, you'll have a home on the on the next, and that's what they're going to keep looking for all the way until it matters when you got to lock in those playoff rosters. Keith, what do you make of Draymond Green's comments that uh, te- it's not fair that teams can have a certain attitude toward players, but players can't have an attitude toward the team? Uh, I, we, Jake and I had a conversation about this, and then I talked with another one of our guys, DJ, here on the station, and he said, uh, as far as James Harden goes, he said, you signed a long-term deal, you're making a ton of money, live up to the terms of the deal, don't dog it. What do you make of this? Yeah, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle with, with these things. I, I fully understand where he's coming from the side of, you know, hey, teams can kind of do whatever they want. But on the flip side, I think as the players, 
That's part of why you get paid 30 or $40 million is because the teams can move you and move you around. And uh, these big trades, that's part of what makes this league so popular. You know, I, I wish more fans followed the NBA for what happens on the court, but we know that there's an awful lot of them that follow it for what happens off the court. So I, I get what he's saying there. Well, what, what I don't like is when a player comes in and says, I want to trade, and I don't blame a player for that, especially if they've kind of given everything that they feel that they could give. But then when they come in and give a half effort or they start attacking their teammates or the coaches or the city, that's where you lose me. That that part, that that. We, we can't have that. That's, that's no good for anybody. But when a player, if a player doesn't want to go or doesn't want to be there anymore, I fully understand it because we all know the team, as soon as they're not feeling the player anymore, they're going to look to go in a different direction. So I think it's, for me, it would be one of those things where as long as it doesn't become an everyday thing that the guy's saying, I want to trade, I want to trade, I want to trade, this place stinks, I want to trade, my teammates aren't good, those, those are huge issues. Then I have no problem. But if it is, you know, one time the player states it, then he goes out and gives it his all as long as he's there, then we don't have any kind of problem. I just think those situations are so few and far between that in all that we'll ever really see them. What kind of market is there for Andre Drummond on a, on a related note? Uh, it, it's a tough one because of how much money he makes. That, that's the challenge ever, ever, you know, really over the last two, three weeks uh, since they got Jared Allen, we've all been kind of knowing this was where it was headed. Cavs had their center of the future. Drummond's a pending free agent. Uh, but the problem is, as you've asked around the league, I don't know if you guys have, but I know I have plenty. There's, there's teams that say, yeah, we like him, but not at that kind of money. So I think that is one because he's an expiring contract that may ultimately come down to a buyout scenario because I just don't know that there's going to be a team that fits up because the problem is you either need to send a bad contract back to the Cavs. Maybe they do that if you attach a pick or something like that, or you have to pile together, you know, two, three or four contracts to go get Drummond. And I don't know that he's the kind of guy anybody wants to sap their depth depth for, especially in this situation this year where guys are still kind of in and out of the lineup with uh, various issues. So so that's the problem for Andre Drummond. I just don't know that we're going to see a trade come together for him. Last night we watched the Jazz beat the Sixers. Uh, ben Simmons went for 42 points and seemed more aggressive offensively. Obviously, Embiid wasn't playing in that game. But do you think he should be more aggressive, or is he just as effective sitting back a little bit and delivering passes and playing some defense? No, I like when he's aggressive and he looks to score. And I'm not one of these people who says he's got to put up jump shots and take three-pointers and all that. That's not his game. I think we need to move off that and say at this point in his career, we know that's not going to be who he is. But I like when he is aggressive because even when teams go under on him on screen or if it's just an ISO and they back up, he's so big and so strong that he can still get into the teeth of the defense with that. And I think when you see him look to score, then what that does is that opens up those passing lanes. Because you see when he's more uh, in the pass-first mode, he'll see – He'll drive. He gets to the same spot where he could look to score, but the teams start jumping the passing lane early. So I love when he's aggressive and looks to score the ball. I think that opens up a whole new world for Philadelphia. The challenge is it's it's something that they're still sorting through. I think they're getting there more this year than they have. You just need to make sure when he's driving, he's not driving into Embiid's already there and Harris is there and somebody else is cutting through on the baseline or something like that because that messes up the spacing and makes a big you know, uh, pile inside the paint. So I think when they have good floor spacing, I love when he's in attack mode. 
Keith, we always appreciate it when you have a few minutes to drop by the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all stay safe. You and yours. Back at you, Keith. Absolutely. Uh, That's our friend Keith Smith uh, from the NBA Front Office Show, also Yahoo Sports and Real GM, always one of our favorites. So a question for you, Jake, based off part of what we talked about there. With with uh, with uh, Anthony Davis being injured the way he is with the Lakers, and that's when what, what's the estimate there till the middle of March, something like that. Yeah. Who in the West is the biggest threat to the Jazz? Oh, I think it's still the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah, I think yeah. it's still both those teams. Which yeah. one of those? Um. Well, I don't know. Probably equal. I know that's probably what you you not want to hear, but I mean, Paul George is having his issues. So, I mean, Clippers have Kawhi and a great surrounding cast, and Lakers have LeBron and a pretty good surrounding cast. So, I don't know if there's an answer, a good answer there. You you heard what PK said earlier about how the Clippers always are second uh, fiddle to the uh, to the Lakers in L.A. And uh, maybe it's because both of us were down there. Uh, did you know that we both worked down there? I had no idea. Yeah, we both did, and so we were we were exposed to the LA. <laughs> we were exposed to the attitude about the Clippers, and I know this is a different a different Clippers <laughs> outfit now, much more talented than typical, but I uh, they were always sort of an afterthought. But that and was like forty five years ago. I worked at the LA Times. <laughs> Where, where did you get that sound from? That had to be sarcastic. I wouldn't be boasting about that. No, um, you boast about it all the time. I still I worked at the LA Times. I, that was the same sound. He played it twice. Yep. Just to reiterate. It's not sarcastic. <laughs> okay. I, I still remember. LA. I still remember walking in the practice facility for the Clippers, walking by their tro- trophy case, and it was absolutely empty. There was nothing in there. Nothing. Zip. L a k e r s. We know not what side you're mix. on. Uh, <laughs> what side I'm on? I'm not on a side. Uh, uh, but you are. No, I never rooted for the Lakers when I worked down there. I was. I no, was, you do uh, now. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> no. I still remember interviewing Darren Williams about the Lakers, and we were talking about how the Lakers were the Jazz's big rival. And uh, I said, well, the, the Lakers are everybody's big rival in the West. And he, he said, well, I don't care. I hate them. I hate them. And I thought, yep. Aaron, you you got the right attitude around here. People gobble that up. Everything, everybody except for all those Lakers fans who have moved to Utah from California. You being one of them. No, I am not one of them. No. Nope. Not. You and Darren disagreed often uh, on the who knew it was about the Lakers. Who? Who disagreed? You disagreed with, who? with Darren. Oh. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, well, yeah, I love LA. It's a big show. 97.5 and 1280 the zone.